can you actually for Caleb's corner? Because we had we started this conversation, Chris, and it never yes. finished up. But for Caleb's corner, can you break down why it is actually practical to buy a Lamborghini on a hundred and fifty month payment plan? Because you tried to you told me there was oh. a reason why it was practical. So this Caleb's corner will be dedicated to why every landscaper should buy a Lamborghini on a 150 month payment plan. Take it away, Chris Arntz. Break down the numbers. Well, I would start by saying I don't necessarily think that every landscaper should buy a <laughs> no, Lamborghini every on a 150 month payment plan. That's no way to get people in your funnel. <laughs> it's for everyone or it's for no one. It's for everyone. It's for no one. What what I was alluding to is more of a concept of if you if it was predetermined that you were going to be a landscaper who is going to own a Lamborghini at some point in time, that there <laughs> potentially might be a financial argument as to the benefits of financing your Lamborghini for 150 months at 6% interest. So, but in order to you know provide the background to the story i need to know how far do we want to go back like do we want to go like 1971 do we want to talk about 1933 do we want to go back to 1913 like do we have like minutes or hours to we have as long as this takes this is Caleb's <laughs> corner baby this is the only thing that's going to be useful on this whole podcast take us back to 1933 great depression i am eating dry white toast yeah, so 1933, Great Depression, you're eating dry white toast. Uh, President Theodore Roosevelt in the United States issues a decree basically making it illegal for uh, citizens of the United States to own gold. So you may be sitting there eating your white toast, but, uh, you know, maybe buried somewhere in your backyard or in a safe in your basement, you still have a little bit of your life savings sitting in gold bars. So the president of your country uh, comes on the air on the radio at that time. There's posters all over the place. You can look this up online. You can find like actual pictures of newspaper articles and posters where they basically said it is now illegal for United States citizens to own gold. So you had to take your gold and give it back to the United States Treasury. And the United did they States pay you for it? Or did yeah, they, they just... did. No, they paid okay. you. They paid you uh, $20, give or take. Because the price of gold from about 1913 up to 1933 was $20 a troy ounce. So they said, people of America, it's the Great Depression and you need to help us get out of this. So too many of you are, you know, actually storing your savings and your value in gold. And that's what's ruining everything. So give us all your gold and we will give you uh, $20 for every ounce of gold. Um, so what had been happening since 1913, of course, was that the United States government had just printed more money than they were supposed to. And so there was really more dollars in circulation then there was gold. Uh, so what they did is they took everybody's gold. And then a year later, once they had everybody's gold, they said, surprise, we have come up with the perfect solution to solve 
the Great Depression, uh, all that gold that you gave us, that we gave you $20 an ounce for, is now actually worth $35. But we own all the gold, so it doesn't really matter. So did you share your screen there, Mike? Sorry, I'm muted. I was just sharing what you were talking about there in the newspaper. Yeah, pull that up again. Okay. This is the most informative podcast we've ever had, <laughs> but definitely relevant to the inflation problems of today. It is. So, this is the this is the crux of the situation. So what are you saying now? The US government is gonna buy your Lamborghini or something? No. no. Or how does we'll it are there. we on did I miss a beat? I must have missed a beat. No. No, it's the story coming. goes back the start, it's coming, Chad. Oh, how long yeah. does how long till this happens to Bitcoin? Oh, who knows? The, well, so here, here's the thing. So say you're a person in the United States and you decided, you know what, I don't agree with this, so I'm not going to give the government my gold, right? You, you said, no, I'm going to, which some people did. Like some people didn't turn in their gold for 20 bucks. They hid it. But the problem is, is like you had to actually physically hide it somewhere. And if you carried it around on you and somebody like you were found with it on you, then it was confiscated because it was illegal. Um, or if you wanted to get your gold outside of the physical United States of America, like this is 1933, your option was like you basically loaded up in a carriage and hook up your horse to your carriage. Or by that time, some people had cars, maybe you, you hopped in your, you know, Ford model T and what you're going to drive your gold to the Atlantic coast and load it up in a boat and ship it to the Cayman islands. Like you didn't really have much choice, right? Because it like is a physical like item and it has weight and mass. Like it had value, but it also had weight and mass. Like it was very difficult to keep your gold and be able to do anything with it. So, Whereas Bitcoin has a lot of properties similar to gold, but it exists in a digital space. So you don't actually have to physically carry it around on you. If you wanted to get it outside of the United States, you know, it's just, it exists basically in the cloud. You could have uh, your Bitcoin in a cold storage wallet and you could hop on a plane, fly to a different country and access your Bitcoin from anywhere in the world. So... Chris, do you have Bitcoin? Uh, I do have some Bitcoin. NFTs? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. Continue with the story. Do you want to buy some of Mike's <laughs> trading cards? Like, Mike, do you still have those on your desk? Can you show them to Chris? Them. <laughs> Maybe Chris wants to buy some of your superhero trading cards. <laughs> we got we got some of them like this. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Those are that's probably worth a lot of money. Uh, if you get a really low mint number, it's worth it's worth quite a bit. I don't have any very low mint numbers, so unfortunately, I don't got the money. <laughs> but they're still pretty cool. They're okay, cool. So... Oh. To me, so so I like them too. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a superhero guy. I just thought it was funny that you brought up NFTs because you're like. Ah, anyway, sorry, Chris. Continue on. It's, yeah, they've got all the gold. It's thirty-five dollars an ounce now. They got all the gold. It's thirty-five. 
Um, so now Americans aren't allowed to own gold. So they kept that price of gold of one ounce of gold to 35 US dollars until 1971. So during this entire period of time, no American citizens can have gold. Like people don't have like gold bars. They're not buying and selling things in gold. It's illegal for them to hold gold. Uh, but in other places in the world, they still have gold. And during that time, after World War II, the American dollar became uh, kind of the dominant global currency. So instead of having to trade in gold, the United States basically said, you can trust the value of the US dollar. Why bother, you know, dragging gold around with you everywhere, shipping gold everywhere? You can sell your gold to the United States, France, England, you know, Germ Germany, Japan, Russia, whoever in the world. You can you can bring us your gold and we will sell you US dollars for $35 per ounce. And the United States dollar started traveling all around the world and became the dominant global currency. And then in 1971, a lot of countries started to question whether or not the United States actually had enough gold in its vaults to cover that exchange rate of 35 US dollars per ounce of gold. Like what would happen if the prime minister of France said, you know what, I think I want to just load up a ship with United States dollar bills and send it across to New York and say, America, here's all your dollar bills back. Give me my gold. And so that kind of thing started happening. And so uh, the president of the United States at the time, Nixon, came up with a brilliant solution to deal with the fact that all the other countries in the world no longer wanted to you know, use the dollars. They wanted to get their gold back. And he just simply created a new law that said, well, now gold's not worth anything in U.S. dollars. Hmm. Just Shazam. There's now no longer a gold standard. So I know, you know, it was supposed to be $20 was an ounce of gold. And then we took everybody's gold. And then we said it's $35 for an ounce of gold. And then we convinced everyone else in the world to give us their gold. Well, but now, like, you can no longer bring $35 back to America and expect to get your ounce of gold because the U.S. dollar is now no longer on the gold standard. Um, so interestingly enough, as soon as he did that, the market price of gold over the next couple of years immediately shot up to $500. Perfect. So as you can imagine, what that kind of uh, alluded to is the fact that maybe the United States had just printed so much money and exported all that value all over the world. Uh, and that instead of keeping it at you know only $35 printed for every ounce of gold they had, that they had actually gone out and printed $500 and spent all that money. Hmm. So why should I buy a Lamborghini? <laughs> so 
I don't know moral, yet. The whole moral of the story is that actual physical things have a certain intrinsic value, but the dollars or the value that we associate to them in dollars is constantly changing. And basically for the past hundred years, it's constantly been going down. The value of the money has been going down and the value of the goods and services have been going up. So, but I like to ask myself sometimes, like, has the value of the thing really changed or has the value of the money changed? And what I've determined is that it's actually the value of the the money is changing. So what we have is we have a world where people are paid in dollars, but the longer you hold on to those dollars, the less those dollars can buy you. So my just thought is that that $376,000 Lamborghini that you want uh, in 12 and a half years, that Lamborghini is probably going to be like an $800,000 Lamborghini. So in that sense, if you have decided that, you know, at some point in your lifetime, you are going to be the owner of that Lamborghini and you can physically make the payments, potentially you are saving yourself some money by, buying it today and financing <laughs> it over 150 months, which sounds completely absurd. But potentially but it, might, it so, might potentially be true. Especially like if there's another back. pandemic. Because oh. <laughs> let me ask you, if you, like I think in Durham region, 10 years ago, you could have bought a house for $250,000. Well, ten, you, we've had our house for 12 years and it's, 1400 square feet it's a detached house it's not anything special but we paid two hundred and twelve thousand dollars for it yeah and what, what do you think ago. your house is worth now conservatively yeah. 750, 750. Like today so it's two, more a than year, a year ago i think it was worth 850 yeah so the rule of seven says that like if you have 7% interest, like 7% return, your money doubles in 10 years. But basically in 10 years, your house tripled in value. So in theory, like if you were paying, if you bought your house and you had to finance the whole thing, if you were paying 7% interest and your house more than doubled in 10 years, that you actually were better off buying it sooner and paying the interest. Which is what you're applying to the Lamborghini? Well, I'm applying it to Lamborghini. See, houses is different because house, well, people are used to houses always going up in value and they're used to things like Lamborghinis going down in value. But the situation with inflation has gotten so bad that we're potentially going to start seeing and we already are seeing things like Lamborghinis going up in value. Look at how much used cars went up in the last two years. Hmm. Basically, the more dollars that the governments print that are chasing the same amount of goods and services just drive the prices of those goods and services up exponentially. I, 
let me put this in Chad's kind of language. Chad, you should buy as many Chinese excavators as you possibly can. <laughs> I was going to say, my, my investment sounds a hell of a lot better oh, now Mike. than it did 20 minutes ago. Oh, and it sounded it, good then. <laughs> Mike, you literally like brought that full circle right back to where I was going to take it. <laughs> so, like, I was looking at a dump truck this week, 2019, which means it was probably purchased in 2018 and then built in the latter half of the year. So it got stamped with a 19 tag. It's a good truck, well cared for from a guy I've known for quite a while. Who's well known for taking care of his trucks, but he wants $220,000 for it. And I'm like, I'm fairly confident this guy didn't pay $220,000 for this truck in 2018 on the flip side to buy the brand new truck to replace it is $297,000 now. So at 220, this truck looks like a really good deal. But in reality, I bet this guy paid 205 for this truck or maybe 200 in 2018. So the truck's been used for four years and well taken care of, beautiful, but it's actually increased in value, which I don't think that's happened in my lifetime before that you could no. buy any kind of vehicle use it for four years and then sell it for more than what you paid for it. Like I, I don't see that having happened, especially if you bought it from new, no. like I could see if you bought a vintage Porsche and then drove it for four years and then sold it again, it's older now and it's more vintage and there's less of them inherently because at least one of them crashed. And the, But this, we're talking like something that's brand new. That's actually worth, I, I think probably worth more than what was paid for it. Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's insane. And it it's, actually it's the financialization. That's what we call it, the financialization. And the it's happened so severely in the housing market because everybody needs a house and people have always viewed housing as a stable investment that, you know, at one point in time, somebody would only buy a house because they needed a place to live. Right. And then people started buying houses as investments for other people to live, but because other people needed a place to live. But when we have a situation like we have now where, you know, if you leave your money sitting in cash, it's just constantly getting eroded away. It leads to perverse incentives where people start buying things to generate a financial return or to just safeguard their purchasing power that they really shouldn't be buying or wouldn't need to buy or shouldn't need to buy in order to protect their purchasing power, but they do it like out of necessity. And so they basically gravitate towards like actual physical things that have a tangible value. Like a house. I feel attacked. I thought you were talking about Chinese excavators again. No, but we like what I'm saying is because the house prices have tripled because Paver King's house price has tripled. You know, yeah. some people rode that housing wave. Um, but now that the house prices are so high, it's like a trickle down effect. So, you know, house prices have tripled. What's next? Next, the Lamborghinis are going to triple. And after that, the Chinese excavators are going to triple. And yeah. Chad's going to have a quarter in the market. But <laughs> in theory, Chad's money is still better off in those Chinese excavators than in the bank because it's not getting eroded in the Chinese excavators. Exactly. So, so I'll be a little transparent. My return on the one Chinese excavator that I sold was 25%. So yeah. that's just 
pretty uh, ballparking it on my end, but like that's a big return for one month of money invested. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if that's good because I'm not a salesman, right? I don't know. I don't make sales all the time. I work, but I honestly, like that. Chad, a couple more sales, and uh, you're going to have private equity firms knocking down your door wanting to buy Mm -hmm. your Chinese excavator resale business. Yeah. Yeah. But they could have it for themselves. All they have to do is hit that auction. <laughs> I'm not doing anything special here, that's for sure. Yeah, but I think that that return on that, if you look at the amount of time and effort it takes to make $2,500 landscaping versus the amount of time and effort it took to buy a Chinese executor online, in theory, you could have paid me to bring it out to Cornwall. You didn't need to come and do it yourself. Right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So even if that lowered your return, say I brought the executor to you and that lowered your return to 23%, you basically would have done almost nothing to make a 23% return on that excavator in less than two weeks. Well, you're taking the risk, right? Because you don't know if it's going to sell at all. Oh, no, oh I'm not or, minimizing the risk. you have to have the money out, like have the actual money to make the investment to try and get something out of it. Right? I was just talking purely about the success yeah. of the return. Oh, okay. I think it's yeah. a very successful return compared yeah. to how many how many street trees do you got to plant and water and take care of and risk yeah. dying and risk replacement versus yeah. that amount of time and effort compared to the time and effort it took to sell the Chinese excavator. Like obviously I think that yeah. some of the other ones may take a bit more time and effort to sell. Yeah. But I still think the risk reward or even just the return should be very satisfying on your end to have oh, recognized, yeah. recognize that and made yeah. a return on it. Like, because even for, the, for that guy who bought it off you, there's an argument for him that he was never, ever going to be the guy to buy it from Richie brothers, organize that, get it yeah. shipped, bring it to there for what the markup was the 25%. I bet that guy would pay that all day long to just ha- pick up the excavator from your yeah. yard and go on his way. Yeah. Cause it is a pain in the ass to deal with the auction and, and the buyer's premium. And then I got to get someone to ship it from the auction site to my yard and then sit on them for a bit. And you know, like there's, there's cogs in the wheel that not a lot of people see, I guess. Right. So it's not like super easy money, but it's, Sometimes it beats going out and planting 12 trees and watering and staking and mulching and all this shit, right? Especially in the winter when you can't do any of that stuff. If you, I watched the excavator. This is like the Chinese excavator episode sponsored by again. (laughs) (laughs) I watched the excavator digging and if the thumb hadn't been on it, and I know you would move the thumb off it in a real, I thought the thing was pretty productive. It, It actually digs better than i thought it would dig like and that was semi-frozen packed gravel you know like yeah that thing had some bite for what it was i liked it so when i watched that video though i felt like you recorded the video and then overlaid the commentary later oh yeah oh yeah beautiful you wouldn't wouldn't have been able to hear me in the video because the thing is so goddamn loud (laughs) i i didn't know that chad had that kind of technology chad do you think uh you could start throwing in a free pair of 
earplugs earmuffs like the big set the nice yeah yeah like the bigger the better if they're not selling he'll start to have to do some giveaways of some sort they they come with a toolbox with a bunch of chinese tools in them but yeah i guess just make sure the earmuffs come with mine on delivery (laughs) come with yours on delivery toolbox of chinese tools You should see the grease gun in this thing. Like, I don't know how you load the grease gun because it's not a normal size grease gun. It's like a mini. And I don't know where you buy mini tubes of grease. I've seen them at you... Canadian Tire. The mini tubes? I've seen mini tubes. Yeah. Really? I don't know if they're the right size for your Chinese grease gun, <laughs> but I've seen smaller tubes of grease at Canadian Tire. Now, whether or not so... they're the right size or not, uh, I'm not 100% sure. So, I... Mike. Oh, go ahead, Chad. I've bought full-size, well, not full-size excavators, but other minis that came with no tools at all. So another bargain when you buy a Chinese excavator is you get the tools with it. Do you, do you see what you should have done was said they're 11.5 and they're 11.6 with the toolkit. And that would have given you the bargain. And then when someone says, well, I need some money off, you say, I'll throw in the toolkit. Even though it really just came with the excavators. And the deluxe diamond checkered pattern floorboard or whatever. (laughs) And take the thumb off, too. Take the thumb off. Yes, yes. break it down and make a lot more money. Some guy asked if I had any attachments for them. (laughs) Forks. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Like, attachments. I guess because you could, specifically, I want an auger. I'm like, I don't know. What do you want me to tell you? Like... No, I don't have an auger for the thing. <laughs> okay. Are we in the worst hour, Mike? We're well into the worst hour. Okay. Except, Chris, except Chris kind of threw that for a loop and gave us a bunch of value in our worst hour. So he did give us. A- oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. You can cut all that. Cut Chris, all are, are you are you ready for the questions? I'm ready. Uh, okay. I'm going to. Are you ready? These are questions direct. From the internet. Perfect. Uh, are we going to say who asked these questions or are we just going to ask them? Because I don't, I think are some they all of these, local to you. Uh, are they from all over no, the place? Not all of them. I feel like we should ask a few. I don't, I think I'm just going to ask the questions. And if you hear your question, you'll know that I asked it. Um, first question this is a loaded question. Oh. Who's the most beautiful woman in the world? My wife. Good answer. Walk through that one. And that's why he's the owner of the landscape. <laughs> Not the guy in the pickup truck who drives through the landscape. <laughs> um, okay. Question number two. Have you had any good pickles lately? Uh, recently, no. Um, but I will say that I think the best pickles are Vlasic pickles. Really? Yes. I'm a, I'm a big fan of classic pickles. We have these pickles right now. They're called McCulloch's and they're like cut into court pre-cut into quarters. Oof. And uh, they're good They're But I, I do like a plastic pickle. Haven't had one in a while, but I can respect that choice. Yeah. I, you know what else has really grown on me lately is other pickled vegetables. Mm, pickled tomatoes, mm, pickled cabbage. Ooh. Mike, are you not going to add, this is like such a setup for Mike. For me? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because you're obsessed with pickled eggs. 
<laughs> I'm was, obsessed. You're the one Chris, giving away pickled Chris, eggs. Chris, do you enjoy a pickled egg? Uh no, I do. I love eggs. I love eggs of all types. I enjoy a good. Uh, I enjoy a good hard-boiled egg. But when the, as long as it's hard-boiled and the yolk can be hard, but it looks like they took it out of the perfect time and the yolk like just got hard. Yeah, that's ideal. Um, I like fried eggs. I like scrambled eggs. I'm actually famous in my house for my scrambled eggs because I like whip them very excessively with a whisk. And yeah. then I even like whip them overheat once I put them in the pan. So they come out like super fluffy. So mm. super fluffy scrambled eggs are always a win. And poached eggs with hollandaise, like a classic eggs, Benny. Can't go wrong. But with not, not a pickled egg. Not a pickled egg. And you know what? Deviled eggs. We do those once a year at Christmas on Christmas Eve at my house. And I will have like one or two and that's it. That's, that's it. That's it. I don't, I don't really, it's, it's too much mayo. Too much mayo. In too my defense, mayo. T, uh, PK, I did already ask Chris if he partaked in your pickled eggs. Uh, when, oh, were, so when I, was I already had, okay. had that answer. You are. I should have known you'd squeeze in pickled eggs before now. <laughs> but what I what I can tell you about pickles is, in my experience, you should generally avoid individually wrapped pickles. But there's also something to be said. You know, I don't know if you've really ever lived unless you've experienced an individually wrapped pickle at the side of the road outside of Cleveland, Ohio. At Mookie's. At Mookie's. Yeah. All right. So next question. This is a serious question. Does Arntz have a direct ship program? Does Arntz have a direct ship program? That's the question. Oh, yeah. I'd say, yeah, we do have a direct ship program. We've been, uh, we've been direct shipping material since the beginning. I think uh, direct ship programs are great there's lots of products that we can ship direct gravel if you want gravel and you need a full truckload to your job site um just call us and tell us you're interested in direct ship gravel and we can deliver gravel from the pit to your job site cheaper than we can if we have to bring it and stock it in our yard and send it out from our stockpile um the caveat to that of course is you know sometimes people call us and they want something right away. So like if you called the morning of and you said, Hey, I need some granular A and I want it right now. And we have a truck. It's like, well, if you want it there in 45 minutes or an hour, if we have a truck available, we'd have to take it to our stockpile. But generally if you order at ahead, if you order, you know, the day before, two days before, and you needed a full load of gravel, we can direct ship that to your job site. Um, Armor stone loads, those can be direct shipped. Um, pavers can be direct shipped too. The biggest thing we see though is the majority of the landscape jobs that we supply, you know, it's not very often that a contractor wants all of one material, all from one plant and wants a truckload, right? Like on your job site, sometimes you, you want, you know, a certain paver for the field and then your client picks a, a different product for the the border or there, there's a retaining wall in the job so you start mixing matching products together it's like 
well, if, if all those products aren't made at the plant, same plant by the same manufacturer, it becomes kind of irrelevant whether or not you can drop ship them because the drop shipping would take more time than it would just to have all the materials picked and packed out of a yard like ours that has them all in stock. So um, I guess the short answer to the question is, yes, we do have a direct ship program. If you're interested in the direct ship program, you can absolutely give us a call and we can um, talk to you about how you can potentially save by ordering direct. Uh, but what we also find is the average residential landscape product project that we supply um, isn't always necessarily conducive to direct shipping product. How many skids come on a direct ship order? Like, like how many skids can you get on a B train from a plant on a direct, like say on a direct order? So our B trains, we can take a hundred thousand pounds without a Moffat and we can take about 90,000 pounds with the Moffat. So I always say the average paving stone, it usually works out to about 30 pallets. And if the average six centimeter paver has a hundred square feet in a pallet, you're talking about 3000 square feet. That's so you, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what I would say to any contractor out there, if you're in that position you say, okay, I need 3000 square feet of pavers, you know, all the same product delivered all at once to a job site. Uh, you know, you should ask us about the option of direct shipping it. And if we can direct ship it, then we can all save money together. Um, but if you order on Friday afternoon and you want the pavers delivered on Monday morning and I have them in my yard and the plant that manufactures those pavers is five hours away, you know, you just might end up in a situation where, you know, it's like we can either get you the pavers that you want out of our yard at the time you want them, or we can absolutely coordinate a direct ship. We can save you money, but, you know, there'll be a time delay in order to go and get those pavers direct from the manufacturer's plant. Do you think that the inherently, this isn't actually from the internet, this is just me. I feel like after dealing with the pandemic shortages, I am a more organized landscaper than I was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Do you think that's average for everybody? Yeah, I would say so. Like I said before, I think before the pandemic, we didn't have hardly any customers calling us in the winter, you know, letting us know, hey, these are my upcoming projects, like starting to build orders. They basically, you know, a lot of times jobs would be like the next job up or they it would be two jobs out. And then we would start getting orders for product. So, you know, then we obviously had the the spike in demand during the pandemic. So we had people ordering six, 12 months in advance. Um, but now there are some contractors that I would say are still ordering, you know, one to two months in advance. And I think that's probably a good thing. I think if you um, are organized and you know what materials you're going to need and you build a list and you work with your supplier to let them know like a month or two ahead of time, what you're going to need that they can start, you know, building their inventory or building your order for you. And I think it, it, uh, it helps everybody. All right. Were the skid coasters as a Christmas gift, a passive aggressive response to everyone complaining? 
<laughs> this is our even worse hour. This is an even worse hour. <laughs> you told the the skid coasters in the Arnts uh, Christmas gifts. Yeah, contractor gift baskets. Were they a response, a passive aggressive response? I love this wording <laughs> to everyone complaining. Like, what do you think? Yes, no. Like, do you think that that's something that was considered at Arnts as you were putting together the gift bags? That, or do you think the skids were just a? Well, I can tell you that, you know, I had nothing to do with the selection of the skid coasters <laughs> in the Christmas gift basket. Was a deposit uh, placed on everybody's account that got one? Uh, no, but. Okay. <laughs> There was definitely a realization at some point before the baskets went out, almost like a light bulb went off where it was like, huh, this is kind of funny. We're sending out coasters in the gift basket that are the skids. And like and I know because internally there was there was uh kind of jokes being made of like, you know, if you are using those coasters and you have guests over to your house. And you give them one of those coasters to put their drink on. Like, are you going to be charging your house guests <laughs> a deposit for using that coaster for their cold beverage in your house? Uh, so here's the uh, the last question, uh, and it's from the same person about the skid usage fees, and that's all oh. it says. <laughs> so, Chris, what? What are your feelings as a supplier? I mean, we are aware of contractors' feelings about the skid usage fees. And I think that sometimes, wrongfully, the suppliers, the like the supply yards, all of them, this isn't a aren't specific problem, are getting blamed for these skid usage fees. So what is the real story? This is breaking news. Not our finest hour, never been discussed. What is the real story on a supplier side? How do you do you hate them as much as us? Or do you fucking love collecting five bucks for every manufacturer and passing it on to them? I feel like I dislike skid usage fees even more than the contractors. I have a very anti-skid usage fee stance. Arntz is anti-skid usage fee. We have been anti-skid usage fee from the very beginning. Want to elaborate? Or that's it? <laughs> <laughs> I can elaborate. You know what's really crazy when you think about it? So let's just say the average paving stone is four or five bucks a square foot. And you get a hundred square feet of paving stones on a skid. So you're four, four, five hundred bucks, four hundred, five hundred bucks is the value of a pallet of interlocking paving stones. And right now, the the pallet underneath the paving stones, just to transport the paving stones, is forty bucks. Like it represents like ten percent of the value of the product. Like, isn't that crazy? I feel like it's crazy. Yeah. Like, like, doesn't that just seem bizarre to you? Like every time I've talked about it to 
manufacturers or even even when we've because uh, we have some products like bag products and stuff we manufacture ourselves so we've actually gone out into the uh the skid marketplace to uh, acquire skids and it's just in some ways it's fascinating in other ways it's kind of bizarre that we haven't come up with a better solution that you know doesn't require a cost that equals 10% of the value of the products. Like, could you imagine like 10% okay, of the cost of other back in the day, the skids used to like, if you, and maybe some products still come like this, but I remember back in the day when I used to pick up products that aren't 90% of them were squeezed and dropped on. Cause they were banded all the way around. Yeah. And a lot of products were moved around the yard by your pinching fork forklifts and I would say that almost no products that go for sale now aren't wrapped in plastic right to the skid. Or I would say 85% of them, which I'd before, say more. I'd say 95%. Because at one time, whenever I ordered product, like this is aging myself, but when I used to order product, I used to have to say I want it on skids. But now, yeah. realistically, there, there just is no product to buy that isn't on skids minus maybe like four four by eight by 12 blocks yeah. call them whatever you will stackers dimensional stones whatever you want to call them those are still banded and squeezable and they can set them in because we used to go and buy like a section and you would grab the section and squeeze it and place it on the truck and then we would drive away without any straps or tarps because it was 1989. <laughs> so but. I, have an, I have an anecdotal story about that for you, about this whole concept that you're talking about. So I would agree with you, even the last two years, um, you know, there was a few remaining products, a couple four by eights, some tumbled pavers that technically still came uh, strapped in sections, not in layers. And if you have a crane truck that offloads with a clamp or uh, in our yard, we have forklifts that have squeezies on them that you could get them on and off the truck by squeezing the bundles, you didn't need skids. So there was a couple products that we could still get um, get the product and, and potentially bypass the skid usage fee on a few products. But this is like, you know, we're down to like the last 2% of products. So we recently placed an order with one of our suppliers. This was just like two weeks ago for a commercial job. And it is a large order of four by eight pavers. And, you know, me trying to um, avoid a skid usage fee at all cost, reached out to the customer and said, hey, you bought four by eight pavers, you know, do you want to save the skid usage fee? Cause we can probably get this product, you know, banded and strapped and send it on a crane truck. And then we could drop it off at your site and crane it off the truck. And, you know, then you wouldn't have to pay the skid deposits and you wouldn't have to pay the $5 skid fee. And then something very, very interesting happened over the next couple of days. Uh, one, the contractor said, uh, no, sorry, I want the product delivered on skids. And they had good reason because they have 
you know, skid steers or other equipment on site that they need to move the equipment around. And so if it's not on skids, it becomes problematic for them unless they had technically if they had their own skids they could have just brought their own skids to the site and when my truck showed up we could have craned them off the truck right onto his pallets so, yeah we used to do that all the time back in the day yeah so bring, you wouldn't bring our own if we, if we knew a delivery was yeah. coming we'd bring all our own skids from the yard yeah. Yeah. so that that side the customer side is not what what really shocked me what shocked me was like and thankfully the contractor had responded and told me that he wanted skids anyways, because after I had asked the contractor and he said he wanted the skids, then my manufacturing partner uh, messaged me and told me that unfortunately we didn't have an option and that they were only manufacturing the four by eights in such a way and, and packaging them on skids. And I had no choice but to take the four by eights on a skid. So even the four by eight, the last bastion of skidless landscaping is now skidded. It stuck it out for a long time. Credit it to it. It held firm. It held, it firm. held strong. It held strong. Goodbye, good soldier. Goodbye. 2023. R.I.P. Hmm. R.I.P. good soldier. So that's so the end of the uh, of the questions from the Instagram. Um, those were the skid usage fee was the final one. Um, Chris, even though this is not our finest hour, I know that you guys are now, and I think it's interesting because I think you're one of the only landscape supply yards doing it. Um, so I will bring it up. Uh, you guys are selling wood and treks. Oh yeah. The wood. And, and I think that's a, that's an interesting combination because i i don't if there is another landscape supplier doing this sorry i don't know there could be i'm not obviously frequenting every but the majority of landscape suppliers i know are not places where you can pick up your decking materials and pick up your um your pavers all in one location at one time so that seems like a an arts innovation it is. And that, you know, that's something we probably could have spent a lot of time talking about on this podcast if we hadn't been sidetracked by the Chinese excavators. But, you know, there's nothing we can do about that now. But we, we can, we can, uh, you know, we can quickly, quickly talk about it. So we actually started selling some pressure treated lumber before the pandemic. Uh, we were stocking posts and it was going quite well. Um, unfortunately, we were not a, big player in the pressure treated world so when all the shortages hit um during the pandemic we were abruptly cut off from the wood supply so but we weren't too concerned about it because obviously as you know we were busy just trying to make sure we were getting pavers and retaining walls and other concrete products from our um kind of our main vendor partner so it kind of fell by the wayside and then this year through uh, one of our vendors that we've built a relationship with the past couple of years, the opportunity came back up. Um, so we kind of jumped on it and started bringing in some, uh, some wood products. And we had a little uh, promotion in March for uh, some existing clients for some wood products as kind of a soft launch. And that went really well. And so we're, we're going to be uh, continuing to stock up for the rest of the season 
and we're going to be uh, starting to promote that that soon. Um, and then that decision to bring in the pressured wood also came in conjunction with us now being a uh, stocking dealer of Trex composite decking products. So material is already on the ground. Um, there's basically 24, call it colors or skews of uh, Trex in their lineup. And uh, we've already got our first shipment. So we've got three colors on the ground. Uh, we're going to be getting a second shipment with three more colors. So for this season, we're going to have uh, six colors or styles, whatever you want to call it, of Trex decking in stock. Um 12 foot, 16 foot, 20 foot groove boards. So all three sizes, 20 foot solid boards and uh, the eight inch fascia boards is what's going to be in stock in the six colors. Uh, but the good news is, is you can still get whatever color you want. You can still order it by the piece. Um, our vendor partner is able to break down the uh, lifts for us and sell it to us on a job lot basis as well. So if you are interested in a color that's not one that we stock, we can still get it for you and they ship to us weekly. So we had a lot of uh, success with the Trex line last year and we were only selling it in job lots. And that kind of led to the opportunity this year to kind of sit down with the suppliers and they were looking for a new um, stocking dealer. So we kind of, uh, you know, made a deal with them and, and stepped into that role and, we're really excited about it. So if any of those products interest anybody, um, we're actually going to be kicking off our um, Wake Up Wednesdays for this season with our first contractor Wake Up Wednesday, which is going to be next Wednesday, April 5th. Um, so it's in the morning from 7 a.m. to noon. And uh, our first Wake Up Wednesday is actually uh, Trex and Fasten Master, which makes all the clips and plugs and specialty fastening products that go along with the treks and the pressure treated lumber. So we uh, just released, I think the first post on social media on Instagram today about the wake up Wednesday, but there'll be more coming in the next few days. And we'll probably also be sending out an email to our contractors that are on our email mail out list. So watch for that for those of you that are on the list. And if you're not on that list and you want to be on that list, uh, just give us a call or reach out to us on social media or uh, email us, check out our website and we can get you on that, uh, on that list. I'm curious about composite decking. Why should a contractor go with composite as opposed to a pressure treated or something like that? I know nothing about decks, by the way. Yeah, so the, the composite would be an upgraded product over pressure treated. Like the cost of composite deck boards is a lot more than regular pressure treated boards, but they come with extensive warranties. Like you're looking at like uh, 25 to 50 year warranties on composite decking. Um, they're more scratch resistant, fade resistant, uh, stain resistant. You know, there's a whole bunch of different color options. If you want a gray deck, you know, you can get a gray deck out of wood. You just got to paint it gray. Well, if you paint your deck gray, then that, there's going to be ongoing maintenance at some point to repaint the deck. Whereas with a composite deck, if you want a gray deck, it's gray from day one and it's going to be that same color forever. Gotcha. Hmm. So are there any other sales? Cause I'm going to guess that this episode 
is not coming out before April 5th. Mike? <laughs> no, but I mean, we, we could push it up, but uh, it's not in the lineup to come out April 5th. Do you think the lineup matters? I don't think it matters. Do you think well, there's any consistency between episodes? <laughs> you think there's like an ongoing... St- I feel like we're more of a Law & Order show. You know, like Law & Order was like... A, it, it's The show started in an hour and ended in an hour, and there was no real continuation. The next week, it was a new story. I feel like that's this kind of show. I don't think we're a like a long-term kind of... If you didn't see the five episodes of X-Files before, you're fucked on this episode. <laughs> I don't feel like we're that kind of show at all. I don't think that's us. So. In my Maybe. OCD brain, it'll kill me, but uh, but I, I could find a way to, you know... My OCD <laughs> So I was going to say, Chris, do you have any other sales upcoming that uh, our listeners may be interested in for April or are you going to hold back on that just in case this episode Mike is not able to allow himself to put this episode out before April <laughs> it, it could yeah. be out before April 5th like that's totally should I fun. give you like the August sales like what kind yeah. of like bring down the August sales man what's, what what's the backlog on the the podcast release here like how many are in the queue <laughs> no it, it could go out Monday like don't don't worry about that if you've got <laughs> April sales like let them fly Monday. Why would we put out a podcast on Monday? Oh, I'm thinking about my podcast. Sorry. Friday. <laughs> <Isn't this> Friday? <laughs> Mike has a lot of shit going on. Just, you know? <laughs> I was just trying to plug my podcast. Couple so. podcasts, a very active website, couple fucking accounts, a whole software program that Chris would probably appreciate because he is a numbers guy. I would. I love a good software. Yeah, well, Mike has his own software that he created that's uh, um, great for knowing your numbers. Not intended for suppliers, but I mean, if you wanted to sign up, we'd we'd squeeze you in. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. We'd be happy to onboard you into the software. So, yeah. What's uh, what's your um, you got any sales coming up for April that contractors should know about? We do, but what I would say is follow us on Instagram. Perfect. If you're not currently following us on Instagram, follow us because all of the sales that we have upcoming and we do have some, we have, we're going to have some product sales and also we're going to have some amazing opportunities for some clearance sales on like one-off products, uh, some specialty products, but some stuff that like has tremendous value that is going to be sold at heavily discounted prices. So if any of those things interest you, follow us on Instagram because we are going to be posting regularly about these sales and uh, opportunities on the Arnst Landscape Supplier Instagram page. So you're saying people should follow at Arnst the Landscape Supplier? At Arnst the Landscape Supplier. Perfect. Is there anywhere else they should? That's the Instagram is the thing? That's the Instagram. I think that's the Is thing. there a Facebook page? There is a Facebook page. For anybody Perfect. that still uses Facebook, there's a website. Said like a true millennial. Yep. www.arnst.ca. All right. Well, there you go. So is this the, oh, go ahead, Mike. I, I do have one last question for you, Chris. Perfect. Oh, perfect. Uh, in true, not our finest hour question uh, fashion. I feel like this question comes at the end when it should come at the beginning. Uh, I actually, this is my first time talking to you, Chris, and I actually didn't even get to know you or anything before this 
we hit record as soon as we started to anyone listening here. So, Chris, I want to ask, like, what what was your upbringing in the industry? Like, how did you get started in the industry? This probably should have been at the very beginning. (laughs) (laughs) What's the history of the company? This is a great question. Mike. (laughs) How did you get started? And like, what what brought you to today? Uh, I guess like a quick rundown, but whatever you want to go with that. Yeah, well. It's uh, we're a, a family, a third generation family business. So, you know, if we take it all the way back, my uh, my grandfather came over here from uh, the Netherlands in 1954. And then he got into uh, some agricultural stuff, into trucking. It was when they were building the 401, the DVP, trucked a lot of gravel down for those kind of kind of projects but he was a horticulturalist at heart and so he surprised my grandmother one day came home and he had uh he had bought a topsoil screener and the story that i've been told is that the topsoil screener cost more than their house and he just showed up with it one day and kind of rolled it into the backyard and said i'm gonna start screening topsoil and selling it to people which at that time was a very bizarre concept nobody was doing that this would have been like the the maybe like the late 60s or early 70s so my grandparents had bought uh a property on brock road and pickering that's where our old yard used to be and that's where he started screening the topsoil and uh and he started stockpiling aggregates and some other things so it was kind of soil aggregates and trucking um and then when my dad and my uncle kind of grew up uh they got involved in the business but then my dad actually left and had started his own landscaping business before i was born and then unilock opened up the first uh paving stone plant in the area uh in pickering like right down the road from us and so my grandfather's first customer that he was kind of buying paving stones for and stocking them in his yard which was in the field behind his house was uh for my dad because he was doing landscaping so after they started doing this um for a period of time then my grandfather and my dad you know had a discussion at some point and decided that my grandfather was going to retire at some point and my dad should stop landscaping and take over the store which he did um and then uh so we he stopped installing and focused on just supply and uh yeah from there they they grew the business on brock road and pickering and until the land was purchased by the government for an airport that never got built and then uh they bought the property that we're on in in whippy now in 1999 and it was basically about a 10-year move to go from Brock Road in Pickering to Lake Ridge Road. Well, first it was Halls Road. We were actually on Halls Road in Whippy. Uh, but then, funny enough, government came and took part of their land again, this time for a highway. <laughs> but this time they did uh, they did build the highway, the 412 that runs right next to our yard. So we had to get a whole new address and a new driveway and everything off off Lake Ridge Road. And that's that's where we are today. Interesting. Did you always know that you're going to get into the family business? No, I was never going to get into the family business at first. 
Uh, I actually, I worked there as a kid. I started working when I was uh, probably about 12 years old. Um, I would come in and work on Saturdays. So my grandfather used to do the dispatching of the dump trucks. And so I would come in on Saturdays and help him dispatch the dump trucks. And then after a period of time, then I also started, you know, coming in Saturdays, taking orders, um, working in the office. I was never on the equipment. Nobody ever let me near the equipment. <laughs> That's why I need my Chinese excavator to hold my, my equipment <laughs> operator skills. Uh, so I worked there all as a kid. I worked there all through high school, worked a lot through high school, worked a couple other jobs. I worked at Future Shop. Um, where else I worked? In university, I delivered food for people in my car so I could make my car payments. Um, I worked as a residence advisor and uh, I was, thought I was going to go to university and, and become a, a doctor actually. So I got an undergrad degree in uh, medical sciences and, uh, and started applying to medical schools and applying to a couple PhD programs. I was doing a lot of um, like drug brain research. It's a lot of fun. And then uh, I really just had a change of heart all of a sudden one day and went back one last summer. I thought it was going to be my last summer working at, uh, at Arntz before I went and started my PhD and all of a sudden I just like saw the business in a completely different light and was like, holy smokes, there's so much opportunity here and it's a great business and there's great people, uh, people both that work for us and, you know, great other people in the industry, customers, vendors. And so I kind of did a big, you know, 180 turn in my life and said, this is, uh, what I'm going to do. And that was in 2011. So 12 years later, I just haven't looked back. And I think it was one of the best, uh, best decisions I ever made. Nice. And then I do have one final question and then I'll, I'll shut up here. Uh, your first time meeting Paver King, where was it? What were your first impressions oh, and what was that like? Well, so I'm pretty sure Mike and I would have met in passing at some point in the old Ernst Brock road days when he was coming in under his original company to buy materials like i i definitely knew of him and there's a chance that we probably talked on the phone or i took an order for him at some point but uh if i could put a star date to the the our current relationship mike you can correct me if i'm wrong i believe it was the a landscape ontario barbecue yes at uh sheridan nurseries that's true up the road from ours and that yeah. would have been uh had to have been what like 2012 2013 uh probably somewhere, somewhere around, there. around there yeah maybe a bit or maybe 20 yeah maybe yeah somewhere around there i would say it yeah. um i know because i was walking by the arns tent and you said this at this point i was um managing uh, Ridge Lake operations managing, I guess you would say. And uh, when I walked by the Ernst tent, Chris said, you should buy more stuff for me. And I said, your prices fucking suck, bro. <laughs> and he said, I can help you with that. And I said, okay, man. Cause we bought everything. Um, we bought everything direct from manufacturer then. Yep. And we didn't actually, we weren't actually a very big client of Ernst at the time. No. Um, and uh, so Chris, 
one of the lessons I learned from Chris, well, I probably, but one of the lessons I definitely learned from Chris was solve other people's problems and their business will grow. So that's was a model from the beginning. So uh, Chris solved a lot of problems for us back then. And then I think by the end of that run with that company, we probably bought like 95% of our products from you. Yeah. Uh, You guys were one of our big, you guys were one of our biggest customers at, uh, at one point after a few years. Yeah. Because it became a harmonious relationship and uh, it certainly is easier to deal. We found it easier and I still do today to deal with, one supplier than to go to 17 different manufacturers. And I mean, I used to spend a lot of time going through all the bills at the end of every month, justifying them all to projects, but if they were all in one product, it was easier to manage from one supplier. So I think that the supplier relationship was very beneficial. Yeah. But I would agree with you. That was the start of the current form of our relationship. That was the start of the current form. And then since then it's taken on many forms. You've gone from being a, general manager of one of our customers to being our supplier sales rep yes to now being whatever you are now a quasi customer <laughs> quasi trucking vendor yes yeah quasi everything yeah no. um, i guess a, a taker of opportunities taker a look, of opportunities a, a, a looker for opportunity would be a good uh no. But yeah, I would one agree thing, that that's the start of the relationship. The one thing that was the most bizarre, though, was the period of time that you were the manufacturer sales rep. <laughs> sure, I feel like I, I think that was a bizarre, uh, but it's alter- an important step of the journey. Uh, when I quit that job, I said to them, like, when I ended up in the parking lot, it was like. My whole life, I, I said this to the guys when I quit there. I said, guys, like when I, my life went upside down in a matter of like 24 hours. I went from my life to a parking lot in literally 24 hours. And uh, it was like someone took me and threw a window pane on the ground and it shattered into 10,000 pieces. And from the the moment that it shattered, it was just me slowly picking up pieces to rebuild the window pane of the person I actually was. And uh, those months at that manufacturer, I was just picking up the last few pieces where it was sort of like a, okay, this isn't for me. This is okay. It's not for me. And now I can go be me again. And um, so. That's it, deep. That that's deep. that's how I, no, that's that honestly how I felt about it. It's a, Chris has been around for a long part of that journey. <laughs> it's I'm, been just, long- I'm so happy. It's so nice to see the paver King back in his natural paver king habitat yeah like he's come full circle back to where he belongs it's back to where he started been a long a long journey coming i so we were like we're switching all our trucks to uh paver king limited because all our trucks are currently in mine not all of them anymore but that's majority of them were at one time all in my name because that was the cvor we were using but uh we're almost down to the only truck that is not switched over is my personal pickup truck that I um, I own that I bought with my own money that the company never paid a penny for. I always, and someone was saying to me, Oh, you should switch it over. And I'm like, I will never switch it over. And they said, why? And I said, cause some days you wake up and you need to live in your truck and that can happen overnight. Yeah. And 
if you wake up one morning and all your trucks are in your company's name, you may not have a place to live. (laughs) (laughs) Words of wisdom. So I keep that one vehicle in my name because I, you never know the running joke. The first year when I went back to uh, Lake Ridge was I had two, I had kept two trucks from the business and one of them resided at my parents' house and it was parked on a hill where you could oversee the lake. So we called that the cottage and I, when I was living in that truck and when I was living in the parking lot, that was the city, the city house. Yep. So I had my city house and my lake house, but uh, yeah, <laughs> anyways, that's why I kept the truck and that's why I, uh, I eventually put myself back together and made it back to, I, I don't know if this is a roaring success, but we uh, we've made payroll every week. So that's all that really counts is that you're paying your people. So. Yeah. Somehow this somehow came about my life. <laughs> Rooted back to something about my ultra destruction of my life. <laughs> Anyways. And we are starting hopefully next week on Monday. So I am pumped about that. I don't know when you guys are planning on starting, but mm, I got a Wait, lot of what are we starting? On the still. What are we starting? Season. Oh. The season, yeah. Perfect. I think I'm gonna probably go monday i have a porch overlay and i have a project in the beaches at someone's house that needs to get finished that's all sand so i feel like we we got some opportunity how's uh cornwall looking chad awful i still got a foot of snow in some spaces and everything's wet and miserable and we're painting trucks and we're greasing stuff and you didn't manage to pull your truck out of the ice yeah, the loader got that out real quick. So, how's so Kitchener? So, do you drive from your house to Kitchener to do an inspection, Mike, on the sites to see when you should start? No, like my family's in Kitchener, so I can just text them. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you <laughs> so ask the guy with the it. fish pond? Yeah, I could do that too. The fish ask pond the fish guy. guy. <laughs> so, what's your plan for starting, Mike? Uh, I might start next week. It's kind of up in the air right now, but uh, hey, if you're in the beaches, I might come by. Nice. Oh, you should come by. Maybe I'll come by. I want to come. Maybe you should come by, Chris. Yeah. Maybe you you can help the project manager of the project. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Potentially, you could help. Um, I'd be more helpful if I had a little bit of experience on the Chinese excavator, but (laughs) uh, you never know. I you think your your pockets are deeper than mine. You could have beat me on those those excavators. Oh, I couldn't because I went through a broker. I wasn't directly in on the action. You need a more aggressive broker. I do need a. You know what, Chad? Are you in the uh, Chinese excavator brokering business? Hey, I'll buy it if you you're gonna bankroll it. <laughs> I'll keep hitting that increase bid button. I did find it exciting when you posted the actual auction, Chad. But then it oh, like time, they I just added two minutes and I was like, yeah. well, they, I hate like, that. They <laughs> add two minutes for no reason. Like nobody yeah. will bid. The like you've already you've already like won minutes. it. You've already won it. And yeah. then they just add two more minutes. Yeah. Yeah, that and would be just, super frustrating. Just for fun. Did anyone bid in the two minutes? It's rare that they did, right? Like and then down in the last 30 seconds, it'll say going once, and then you got to count to 10, and then it'll say going twice, and you count to 10 again, and then like, oh, I got it. And then you're like, fuck, <laughs> did I want it? <laughs> Who knows? I got it now. So yeah, like, 
what's the immediate thought after the timer runs out? Like you're sitting there thinking like, do I, I want somebody to outbid me? I want somebody to outbid me. And it's like, oh shit, nobody outbid me. Now, well, for the most part, like I was pretty confident with my bids and stuff, but there's always that after the fact, you're like, well, why didn't someone bid more? Yeah. Did I just get fucked? Did I just overpay? <laughs> yeah. I want to know why you didn't but, buy the sweepers. Those things seemed like a fucking bargain for your sweepers. own shop. You posted oh, a video the, of the, this, like, yeah, this the, sweep, this floor sweeper is a hundred bucks. I'm like, why is he not buying that? <laughs> I should have. I missed for the his hot own water shop. pressure washer too. Yeah. Like I missed the, there's always next time. That's the great thing about, that's a great thing about, that's a great thing about you shit. There's always, always more of it. There's always more of well that the to the to the point though, the Chinese excavators are actually brand new, unused. Yeah. yeah. The hour meters are zero. I know yeah. this because they were in our yard and we looked at them. Yeah. Well, are, and you know what I always say? It's better to be looking at it than looking for it. That's yeah. not what you always say, but I do know who always <laughs> says that. <laughs> I also think that um you don't give yourself enough credit because I remember a job where uh, I went, this is one thing I do admire about Chris is that uh, he will. I remember a job where we had to work on a Sunday. Oh, we doing, I remember we were, that job. We were building a lifetime fitness and it had to open by a date and we absolutely had to work on Sunday. And Chris opened aren't the landscape supplier all alone and loaded our trucks with soil all day by himself. So I think he's underselling his, uh, loader capabilities to run yeah, the loader. But that because oh. there was a period of time when we were building the winter salt business and so i actually used to work the night shift for salt and so there's a period of time i did the training certification on the front end loaders so they let me drive the 908 front end loader and the 950 front end loader but i was never allowed to drive the 966 because apparently the steering is different i don't know i've never been in it i've never sat in it it's, I, I think it's certain. it's got probably like a, the same controls as a dozer. Pilot controls, Chad. Pilot controls. Something. Uh, or it had like uh, a hydraulic steering or something different. But I was, for a period of time, I'm not allowed to drive them anymore, but I was allowed to drive the 908 and the 950 loader. And I remember that going in that Sunday. To load those trucks, baby. To load keep the, the trucks. Keep the soil moving on the... Keep uh, the soil moving. I, go, I actually go to that gym now. And every time I go there, I remember I remember all the all the soil that we loaded and the river rock and the swales between yep. the parking. parking river rocks. HPB came from you. Yeah, granular A. Granular A. It all yep. came from uh, from our, that was a good project. I miss Chris, that. Did, have you ever hit something when you're loading or 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 damaged something when you're loading? Not that I ever have done that before. Oh, to <laughs> I totally like have hit hit the blocks like on our salt bin like our old salt bins like when i was pushing up salt like totally just like ran into one of the blocks with the bucket just like oh didn't see that there <laughs> <laughs> well full disclosure mike used to work at a landscape supplier that's how he got his start in the business chris nice in the uh kwc kw yeah K KW? kwc tri-cities right Tri Cities. Yeah. Oh. Mike nice. is a, a veteran of the Canada geese trapping people in the <laughs> in the mulch the in the mulch bin. Yeah. Trapping in the mulch bin. Hey, Absolutely. mulch mulch is a fickle product, man. Don't mess with mulch. Mm. 
Mulch is an expensive product, bro. Yeah. I remember when it was cheap. Like no one wanted it. It was like ground up garbage trees. It and was. No, it was like, like it was wood garbage. Now it's like fifty bucks a yard. Like, sixty like, bucks a yard. Sixty Holy bucks shit. a yard. I should adjust wow. my pricing. How much is yeah. mulch in Cornwall, Chad? Uh, year before last or before COVID must have been what twenty five bucks a yard. Now we're up probably forty five bucks a yard. Yeah. For what? They're, close, they're closer to the trees. That must be what yeah. it is. Uh, my yard looks like a disaster. I could mulch all the shit that I just tore down, make my own mulch. There you go. But, yeah. So you can pick it up from the dump up my in my city. They have like a mulch pile, but it's got all nails in it and shit, and you have to load it yourself. <laughs> Is that what you take out to the street <laughs> tree jobs? We, we don't do no, we don't use that stuff, but people So it's forty five dollars and, and you have to load yourself. Okay. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's free, the, the city garbage mulch. But, yeah. yeah. All right. That's an episode, I think. That's, that's an episode. And that's how we end there, it. PK. Oh, is that it? Oh, right. oh, you know what I did want to bring up? And I don't know if you can play it while Chris is here. I We should have had it because Chad has a guitar in the background. And Chris is an avid guitar player. So when Chris is back, you guys can have a guitar off. Oh, live. I'll bring my guitar next time. Do you want me to bring my guitar? Chad has a guitar. Did you? You said you could play that guitar, right, Chad? I could play. It's not in tune. It's been fucking years since I played any. I played for my like daughter, but horrible sound. Anyways, so it's yeah. just a matter of creating interest to generate people sharing the podcast. We need uh, we intro music. So yeah. Anyways, you did send some intro music on the email today. Who? You. It's attached to the email. I did. I didn't even know that. Oh, I don't know. I opened different. it and started playing it. <laughs> like, why did Mike attach this? Because I've never heard it before. And then I thought, well, maybe this is what Mike wants to use as the intro music. No, no he didn't. So I, I sent an email with like a bunch of my music that I, and that was a long time ago, man. <laughs> that was like three months ago. And none well, of you just... guys responded to it. So I just thought, you know what? They don't like my music, whatever. <laughs> I like the music, but it was it probably... good. It probably shows up whenever I send a new link. It showed up as an attachment. So I was yeah. like, oh, look, Mike sent music this week. <laughs> Little did I know it was three months ago that Mike sent mm-hmm. the music. Anyway, I was just saying we should definitely get the, because Chris, we don't have intro music, so we're not, oh. we're not uh, as pro as uh, some of the competing podcasts. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you know, I'm uh, part of a cover band. Cover band, yeah. A cover band of what? I'm in a uh, a cover band for that. We're uh, me and my neighbors. We started a Lumineers cover band, and we nice. we call ourselves the Cleopatras. Nice. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't listen to this band, so I don't get the reference. Do you plan play around Whitby? Uh no, around Toronto. Oh yeah, yeah, up and down the street. Sometimes we go one street over. Mostly in someone else's backyard. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> in other people's backyard. Wow. Well, Bill, that works for us. Uh, Billy, uh, he's in a Stunt Double Pilots cover band. There you go. Yeah. So there you go. Hmm. All right. This is the end of the podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for having me on, guys. Anytime, Thank brother. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for coming. Let's do it again.